0: when that light starts to get low, a lot of times you'll anchor a little different because you can't see that perfect round housing of your peep site. So you might anchor a little high or a little low or a little right or left in that peep. And that'll cause you to, you know, have maybe six, seven, eight inches difference of impact at longer ranges.
1: hey guys welcome to the national deer associations deer season 365 podcast i'm your host brian grossman and this week we'll be talking with professional archer and avid bow hunter dan mccarthy about the steps that we can take now to ensure that we have ourselves and our equipment ready for the upcoming archery deer season and we also dive into how getting involved in competitive archery is not only a blast, but it'll make you a better bow hunter as well. So be sure to stick around for that conversation. Hey, before we get started, though, this week's episode is brought to you by our friends at Weatherby. Weatherby manufactures quality firearms and ammunition, and we're actually hosting a fundraiser this week. Uh, it provided you're listening to this podcast the week that it was released. Uh, we are giving away six Weatherby shotguns. As always, all proceeds raised uh, from that fundraiser will go towards our mission of ensuring the future of wild deer, wildlife habitat and hunting. So be sure to head over to DeerAssociation.com and click on that Weatherby Sweepstakes banner on our homepage. And we also want to say a big thanks to all of you who gave on our very first annual giving day that we had back on May 11th. Uh, We had set an an initial goal of $50,000. Because we hadn't we had an anonymous donor who agreed to match up to that fifty thousand dollar mark, and thanks to you guys, man, we blew past that goal, raised well over sixty thousand dollars to bring that grand total up to over one hundred and ten thousand dollars with those matching funds so we're we're so thankful for all of you who contributed and gave uh on on our first annual giving day. so big thanks to you for that uh one other exciting piece of news before we get started here. Uh, NDA was recently awarded a one hundred and fifty thousand dollar grant by the by Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's Outdoor Fund, uh, and that grant will go to help us expand our nationwide initiative improving access, habitat, and deer hunting on public lands. Uh, it's a unique project that we're working on to improve habitat, wildlife populations, and hunting opportunities on public lands uh, through the expertise of some of our NDA staff and our conservation partners, including the U.S. Forest Service. So be looking for more information uh, as we get further down the road with that program. And uh, we're just extremely excited about that opportunity and very thankful to Bass Pro and Cabela's for their support on that. And with that, guys, hey, let's jump on the phone here with Dan McCarthy to talk about how you can prepare now for the upcoming archery deer season. Dan, before we dive into competitive archery and, and preparing for archery deer season, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do for a living?
0: So um, I've, I've shot competitive archery um, now for, this is my 19th season professionally. Um, I have started uh, when I was pretty much out of high school um, and then just kind of gradually shot more and more events. Um, as I continued through and until it became my, my full-time job uh, after probably three or four years of shooting professionally. So um, that's kind of my, my start. Um, and then I also work uh, with Black Eagle and Conquest on product development. Um, I work with a bunch of my sponsors, True Ball um, and Matthews and, and all of uh, my other sponsors to try to uh, you know help make our product. More usable, better, um, more efficiently uh, used for what we do. I know, like we really push stuff, push the limits with uh, our target stuff, trying to literally get everything we can out of them. So it's just a good segue. Target archery is into the hunting side of things of how to how to really uh, test what what all these products can are capable of and what we need to kind of tiny make tiny adjustments to to, to get a little bit more out of them. Um,
1: for the hunting side as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we'll definitely dive into to that aspect of it. Now, did you take an interest in archery and target archery before you, well, I guess before I even ask that, I should ask, are, are you a bow hunter as well or are you just strictly competitive archer?
0: No, I, I bow hunt as well. Actually, you know, that's that's what, uh, I, I loved hunting um, as a young, young kid and and bow season was the longest season, uh, that I could really, you know, chase deer and, and spend a lot of time out in the woods. And, and, uh, that's what, what I fell in love with and got, got into archery because of, and then I was just really competitive, played a lot of sports. And, uh, I liked, I liked the, the 3d side of archery just cause it gave me something to do, you know, to kind of shoot, shoot the bow. And, uh, spend some time out there before season and just get getting more efficient with my equipment.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always tell people if uh, any, any bow hunter, if you're not getting out there and shooting 3d archery, you know, if, if nothing else, just for fun, uh, you're missing out, man, missing out on a, uh, a whole season of opportunity there to, you know, be out there shooting your bow and, and enjoying the outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of, good people out there that do it too. Like that's, uh, some of my closest
0: friends I met through archery, you know, through shooting those events and just a lot of like-minded people with, uh, you know, a lot of the same hobbies. It's just a good thing to pick up in the summer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and again, we're going to talk more about that, but first I kind of wanted to dive into, you know, preparation for deer season. And, and I know, you know, turkey season's just wrapping up for, for most of us. Uh, we're not even into summer yet, even though it's, it's starting to feel like summer here in Georgia. But uh, I know for a lot of guys, deer season's kind of the last thing on their mind at, at this time of year. But, you know, it's never in my mind, it's never too early to start preparing yourself and your equipment for archery deer season. And, and that's why I wanted to get you on here to, to kind of talk about that process. Now I know as a professional competitive archer you're you're obviously you're practicing year round uh but does that routine change any as deer season approaches or or even into deer season or is it pretty pretty consistent year round
0: uh for me i'd say it's probably different than than you know a lot of people because my season's so long it's it's 9 10 months of of pretty rigorous shooting um so when hunting season comes around for me it's a lot less uh practice for me i like to kind of take a little bit of time off. Um, I don't shoot the bow every day, but uh, I still, you know, shoot shoot my bow every once in a while. Um, but it's it's significantly less. Because, I mean, our season is literally nine months, but it's pretty much seven days a week for nine months long. And then our off-season is about three months of, of off-season. So I try to, like, catch up on just recharging my batteries that time of year to not get burned out. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely for. OK, now for the guy that uh, your, your average bow hunter let's say at this point in the year, you know, they're, they're both still in the case from from the last day of last deer season. Uh, what steps, I guess, can they start taking now to prepare for deer season? And I guess let's first before we get into the practice side of things, let's let's kind of look at the equipment. What what do they need to do now, I guess, to pr- get their equipment prepared for for deer season?
0: Well, I mean I I would say generically like, you know, pull your stuff out and and just re familiarize yourself with it every once in a while. Um, you know, shoot the bow. This so much of this is about muscle memory. So just every once in a while kind of refreshing your muscles, um, keeping those muscles from from atrophying cuz cuz what you do with with a bow is such an uncommon, you know, muscle groups that you actually target. And so if you don't use it, you'll lose that muscle pretty quickly. And so, just shooting every, you know, even if it's 30 minutes every week um, will help, you know, reduce some of that. So, when you do pick it up in the offseason, um, it's easier. But more importantly, if we're talking about um, kind of specific things that, that we're going through as an industry um, with COVID stuff that, that's taken place and has clogged up the supply chain look your equipment over if you need, you know, if there's any issues, you need a new string. Um, don't wait until bow season. It's going to be probably, you know, a month, two months out on some of that stuff to get replaced. Um, you know, look over your limbs, look over your cams, look over all the stuff of just sitting in the case. Um, things can happen, especially if you put your bow in a hot, you know, a hot place. Um, you know, I wouldn't recommend that, but definitely look it out. Cause I, I, Speaking from experience, man, it's just crazy how many people the week before season, (laughs) they pull their bows out, they bring it in archery shops, and they're like, I need my string replaced. I need a new, you know, peep site tied in. And their peep site area is all frayed and cut (laughs) up. And, you know, so just look over that stuff and anything that needs maintenance, get it done right now while these archery shops are slow, while you can get your, you know, get your stuff ordered and have it there. With enough time to actually settle in your strings and shoot it, and work, you know, build some confidence into the whole system before hunting season, instead of being that that guy that's last second, you know. And every everybody that brings it in is like, oh, I need it done I want <laughs> yeah, tomorrow. Going on an elk hunt next week. Yeah. It's like, well, then you're buying a bow off the shelf because can't get a string by then. And I mean everything: sights, rest all of that stuff is, is backordered significantly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that with COVID. Of course, it's always a good idea anyway to, like you said, just to, to get that out early and, and get that done. I know the uh, local pro shop owners and, and workers will appreciate that because yeah, I've, I've heard the same types of horror stories from a lot of guys of, you know, guys bringing their bows in last minute and need all this done or this replaced. And I need it, you know, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, talking about strings, that's that's something I guess have all it's always been a little bit of, um, uh, I guess, a mystery to me. As I mean, how how often do you do you need to replace the string on your bow? A, a typical bow hunter. Now I know obviously it's going to be different for somebody like you that's shooting, you know, seven days a week. But for your average bow hunter, how often does that string need to be replaced?
0: I'd say strings are are a lot like vehicles. Like they just need they just need Regular maintenance. You want to clean them, um, reserve them often. You know, if as, as they get worn, um, as serving starts to separate, uh, you know, if you have an area that can that can service that stuff, um, you can get several. I mean, I I've gotten two seasons out of a set of strings before, and I promise you, those strings are being shot more than in two seasons, and then not just your average bow hunter, but probably your you're, uh, you know, obsessed bow hunter <laughs> with that bow in his lifetime. So yeah. I don't know, a hundred thousand shots. Wow. It, I mean, yep. they're, they're definitely capable of that. If you take care of them, if you keep them clean, if you reserve them. So, you know, all of the wear areas aren't actually wearing on the fibers, but they're just wearing on the servings and you're reserving those servings and, and keeping dust and dirt out of the fibers just gently wiping that those the outside of that string down so it's you know keeping that that dust and and abrasive stuff out of there uh helps maintain it a long time just really delicately cleaning that don't like grab it and really you know push those those things in um into the fibers of the string just wipe them off every once in a while and clean them and then uh they'll last a long time
1: yeah and, and how do you know, I guess, what are some clues that it, it's it's time to change that string out? I mean, it, it's reached just, its just lifetime. Looks,
0: I mean, looks are really uh, the telling thing. I mean, for the most part, the more you shoot a set of strings, the more stable it's going to they're going to become. And then just as the fibers start to break down, you're going to start to see like. Not entire strands of the string, but individual fibers that make up each strand. You're going to start to see those breaking and starting to fuzz really bad. And, and the string will just start to get really ratty looking. Just, just it'll, look, it'll look bad. And that's when you know, you're, you're probably going to want to think about starting to replace it. And usually when a string breaks in the area that the strings themselves will break, it's usually right where the knock snaps on the string. And that area where it bends into a V, uh, it's just like a pop tab, you know, if you just keep flexing a pop tab in the same spot over and over and over, eventually it breaks. And that's, that's generally, uh, where a used string will break. Um, otherwise the weakest component of a string is the end loop because there's only half the, half the amount of strands where it hooks on where they hook on the cam post. Right. Yeah. so if, if you look, you know, keep an eye on those areas and if they start to get really worn and start to show, you know, significant wear on those posts, if there's something rubbing or you didn't replace the serving enough and they started to wear in that area, that's another area where they'll blow.
1: Okay. Now, as far as shooting practice, you know, again, your bow hunter, he, he's just got his, his bow out of the case. Maybe you know he's gone through it now. Everything's everything's good to go equipment wise. Um, what what kind of practice routine do you recommend? Um,
0: I, I would recommend you know more so than just like time of practice. I'd really recommend shooting in like shoot shoot in the beginning part of the season, like when you're starting to like just get started. Shoot close. Uh, Work more on just muscle memory and repetition, learn and do the same thing over and over. So don't necessarily pick like all of your pins or different yardages to shoot at. Pick kind of the mid range, your expected range that you're going to shoot like 30 yards and then just build repetition. By by moving from like 20 to 60 to 70 to 50, 40, you're kind of moving in your peep sight, your anchor. So you're, you have to float your anchor a little bit when you change those distances and it doesn't, it's not really good for, uh, building repetition. So pick like a 30 yard shot or, a you know, something in that mid range area where you can really just get comfortable doing the same thing over and over and over while you develop those muscles again, while you refresh kind of all of your muscle memory and your brain and just work on good form, good execution, and by keeping it there in that middle range and not changing a bunch of stuff, hopefully you'll maybe notice a few things that maybe need a little bit of tweaking, like maybe your P-Pice not perfect or your loop length isn't, doesn't feel comfortable or you're having a hard time getting settled and having a consistent anchor. Uh, draw length might be a little too short, a little too long. Uh, small, small intricacies like that, you'll notice if you stand at the same distance and shoot it over and over. Then as you get closer to season, start spreading out, you know, start shooting those other pins and fighting everything in uh, kind of changing it a little bit. And then as you get really close to season, I would definitely recommend, you know, putting on the gear that you're going to hunt with, shoot with that stuff, make sure it doesn't change the way you, you anchor or the way you align. Uh, because that can cause pretty drastic left and right um, depending on, You know, if your jacket's bulky, you know, you're getting contact on your sleeve, pretty obvious things. But at the same time, it's just worth noting. I'll definitely shoot that, that stuff. And then again, I would shoot under the lighting that you're going to prepare to shoot in. So if you're, you know, most of these white tails are going to come out at night, right before dark. So that dusk time, um, when that light starts to get low, a lot of times you'll anchor a little different because you can't see that perfect round housing of your peep site. So you might anchor a little high or a little low or a little right or left in that peep. And that'll cause you to, you know, have maybe six, seven, eight inches difference of impact at
1: longer ranges. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That could could certainly make a huge difference. Yeah, And
0: and really that low lighting is key. Um, Even for target archery, like, It'll tell you a lot of the things that you're doing wrong. So when you shoot like in perfect lighting, you have such a crisp peep um, sight that even if it's in the wrong location or your loop length's wrong or something's wrong there, you you can kind of adjust your head to center up your scope. You know, co- make your scope concentric with your housing of your peep sight. And when you get when you get under stress situations like in a tournament or a big deer or something like that, your body's usually going to naturally kind of revert to more what's comfortable. And you're not going to have enough like conscious attention while you're while you're under those circumstances to center everything up. You're just going to acquire your target, put your pen where it needs to be and try to execute the shot. And in low lighting, your body's going to kind of do the same thing. You're going to naturally anchor with what feels comfortable, not necessarily with what's concentric because you can't, again, you can't see your peep sight. So when you shoot in that low light, your body and your, your face and your anchor does everything that's kind of feels natural. That's kind of where you want to move stuff to so that what feels natural is concentric is centering your scope up. Um, And you kind of want to move that stuff around so that you hit the same and Good lighting and bad lighting. You're not seeing a shift right or left or up or down. If you're hitting high in low lighting, then you're setting up in your peep site, looking out you know, more of the top side of the hole. If You're hitting low, you're looking through more of the bottom of the peep and you need to pull your peep down a little bit. And if you're hitting right, your loop's probably a little too long because you're getting too far into the string. I'm speaking from a right-handed shooter when I'm talking left and right here. But as a right-handed shooter, if you're hitting right, your loop's probably a little too long and your eye's a little too far past the center of the string towards like the cable guard side, which would cause you to hit hit right. And if you're left, your loop's probably too short. You can't get all the way into your anchor as comfortable as you would like. And you're you're looking through the left side of your feet or your more the shelf side.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's good stuff there. So if I yeah, I so had not considered.
0: Yeah, just just maybe making a tiny adjustment, maybe like fifty thousandths of a loop length change, you know, at a time until that stuff, you know starts to center up, and your your left and right and up and down stays really consistent from good lighting to low light.
1: All right, now do you recommend you know once you've kind of gone through that initial you know break-in period that you you talked about, just where you get get your consistency back, your muscle form. Do you recommend practicing at, at longer distances when possible, you know, much longer than, than you would actually take a shot on, on a deer or whatever, whatever it is you're hunting? I don't.
0: Um, there's a lot of people I think that preach that, you know, shoot longer distances that makes the shorter distances feel easy. You know, I don't mind like shooting some longer distances just to get comfortable with longer distances. But again, this isn't a rifle. So, So much of this is based on consistent anchor and more automatic anchoring um, under pressure. You don't want to have to think, center up my peep site. You want it to just happen. So I I definitely recommend, you know, setting your peep height and spending up most of your time shooting at your effective range that you're going to plan on making a harvest at and dialing in all of those anchors at that distance, because if you Spend all of your time practicing at, let's say, 70 yards or 60 yards. You're going to set your peep so that it's comfortable at those distances, and your anchor is going to become automatic and really comfortable at those distances. But then when you try to shoot something at 20 yards, you're going to feel so crammed down in your peep sight that it's going to add a lot of tension in that shot, and you have a tendency of probably, like, dip banging or... You know, doing something like that, dropping your arm, just because it's it's gonna feel so so tight and tense nope. um, at the uh, shorter distances. Now, what is that? Can you explain what dip banging is? So, dip banging a lot of times is just like you're you're aiming, and right before you shoot, you drop your front arm. Okay, gotcha. Um, and and a lot of it has to do with just you know that that split second that before the shot fires, you stop pulling on the back end. And that front arm has to pick up a lot more weight just because of physics and vector directions of force. So when if you stop pulling with your back arm at, at like a steady rate, then that front arm will, will drop a little bit. So kind of just think that, you know, if you hold your bow out, just pull on the string a little bit, not even drawing the bow back, but just pull. You're kind of holding the weight of the bow up with both hands. Um, the force that you're pulling against the string... And the weight of the bow. If you stop pulling, then all of the weight is needs to be held up with your front arm, your bow arm. So in that split second, if people are whether they're shooting back tension or they're you know setting their release off with you know punching or however they set their trigger off, trigger off. If if you stop, if that tension on your back release arm changes and becomes less, then you're usually your pen's going to sink. Okay. Yeah,
1: that makes sense. Well, let's let's talk about the guy who may be uh, you know, brand new to bow hunting this season or, or maybe it's somebody that, you know, they're, they're not necessarily new to hunting, but they're picking up a new bow before the season. Can you kind of walk us through, I guess, your your recommended setup process on a new bow and uh, assuming, you know, the accessories are on it. They already got their their rest and their sights and, and peep sight and everything installed. Um what, what's your process or what would your process be, you know, to set up a a bow for bow hunting, um, just to kind of, to get it tuned and and ready to hunt? Well, I mean, I would first,
0: you know, if I get a new bow, I would have it set up properly. So go to a good reputable dealer that can kind of work, work with you a little bit on your draw length, your anchor points, try to get that stuff as comfortable as possible from day one. Um, don't, I wouldn't concern myself overly with tuning at this point. Um, get everything close. Get it in the ballpark. Um, but just shoot a lot. and Settle your strings in. Um, let those strings kind of start to stretch out a little bit and settle. And then after about a month of shooting or three weeks of shooting it, then go back in. Have the have your cams timed well, re Um, And I guess to expand on that, Timing is basically you want to make sure that when you draw the bow back, that your stops are hitting the cables at the same time. So both cams are kind of synchronized. Um, If it's a two cam, if it's a one cam, you know, a lot of these are still going to have stops or a hybrid system. They're still going to have a stop on the top and the bottom. And you just want to make sure that they're they're both kind of against the, the wall and not one cams not bouncing more than the other. Um, so you'll wanna make sure that those those are set right after those strings are settled. And then that's kind of where you wanna start fine tuning your stuff. So get it tuned. Uh if you're gonna shoot fixed blades, I pre- you know, recommend paper tuning and then expanding into a bear shaft at like twenty yards. Uh just okay. something to make sure that they're probably gonna fly as close to a field point as you can.
1: Um, Can can you can you walk us through that? What what's the explain bear shaft or I mean paper tuning, and then we'll talk about bear shaft tuning. But how would you go about paper tuning? tuning?
0: Basically, where you're shooting, you know, you're shooting a a fleshed arrow through paper or a bear shaft arrow through paper. Um, You're just trying to get make sure that the arrow's coming out of the bow clean, Um, not fishtailing or or wobbling side to side as it's coming out of the bow. Bear shaft tuning is more of a, a fine tuning method from that, but it does react a little different um, without fletchings on the back of the arrow. So you you I don't I don't believe in like you know making my bear shaft hit exactly with a fletched arrow because the the fletchings on the back of the arrow. And this is getting into some pretty advanced stuff, but the fletchings on the back of the arrow when they're glued on to the, an arrow. They actually like reinforce the back of the arrow, and they change the the way that arrow flexes a little bit. So if you actually tune an arrow to shoot a perfect bare shaft and th- and hit in the exact same spot as your fletched arrow, your fletched arrow is probably going to tear a little bit left. Um, so I prefer actually making sure that my fletched arrows, the ones I'm actually going to shoot, are flying true. You know, flying perfect. So. When you go into like a fixed blade head, um, you can kind of check your stuff with a bear shaft, but really, uh, once once you get it pretty close to a bullet, then you're going to want to shoot field points and a broadhead with two flexed arrows. And you're going to kind of want to tune those two things so that they hit the same height and they hit the same left and right. Um, if you're, if like a, a fixed blade, for instance, for, on a, versus a field point, let's say you shoot your field point, you hit the bullseye, you shoot a fixed blade broadhead or even an expandable broadhead and it hits a little low, right? Okay. Because there's, there's, there's blades on the end of those broadheads, they will plane a little bit. So what that'll tell me is if I'm hitting low, right with a broadhead, then that means my arrow is coming out of the bow, a little high left on the tail end of the the arrow so my broadheads come is a little low right of the fletchings. They're catching a little bit of air and they're driving that arrow low right. So I would make a tiny adjustment to bring some of that that high uh, left out of the the back of the arrow, so that the the field point and the broadheads are impacting the same spot.
1: And is all all that adjustments going to be in in your arrow rest? I guess. Not necessarily. There's, there's a ton of different ways, um, to tune a bow.
0: And I mean, we could do a separate podcast <laughs> right, over just yeah. that. Um, but it, it, it could be, you know, a ton of things. There's depending on the bow and the eccentrics and how it's set up. Um, there could be, you know, there's yoke tuning where you kind of want to make sure that, that the same amount of tensions on your yokes, um, which can cause left and right ups and downs. Um, cause that, you know, twisting your yoke is going to change the cable length as well. So it's going to change your timing, your cam rotation, stuff like that. Um, it's also going to change your left and right impact. There's top hats with the Matthew system where you're moving your cams left and right on the axles. Same thing with spacers on cams. That's a, uh, another thing that you're going to use to tune. And and really, like, we're, we're going beyond into an advanced side. That's why I'm saying go to a reputable dealer have them help you with the tuning process. They should be very familiar with different brands of bows and how to effectively and efficiently tune each rig. Gotcha. And then the rest of it will be your rest. So you pretty much want to set your rest up with uh, the factory recommended, um, you know, center shot uh, and then kind of walk in those other methods of tuning on your limb tips, your cam spacing, your timing, Once you get that stuff set, then maybe tiny little increments in your rest, left and right, up and down to kind of group tune those things and get them as close uh, as you can so that you're getting just the most
1: out of out of your equipment. Okay. I mean, is is it ever okay? I guess, with, with fixed blade broadheads to just I mean, if they if they seem to be flying true, but they're not hitting exactly where those those. Field tips are: is, is it ever okay just to you know tweak your your sights to to be uh, you know put the arrow the the broadhead arrow where it's where it needs to be, or or do you need to resolve the tuning issue? I mean, it's it, it obviously there's a time for it
0: where in a pinch you know if you're on a backwoods hunt or something and you don't have access to a bow press um, to to maybe tune some of that other stuff, then yeah you know. Better than aiming left if you're hitting right, but uh, right. just move your sight. But at the same time, like you know, this gets back into why you start a little bit ahead of time. You should you should get most of this stuff done prior to your season. Um, but again, check it check it with that clothing. When you start putting heavy clothing on, it changes the way your your back like your release arm. You can't get it always in the same position at full draw, and you might end up with like face contact or something like that that's just a little different and that can cause left and right tears as well um so you know try to tune stuff but again check it uh check it with with full load of gear on and make sure that you're still getting a clean you know clean release clean uh clean arrows etc coming out of the bow and shoot it with your quiver on with your quiver off you know however you're going to shoot it The weight of stuff, you know, your your balance of that riser changes a lot of how much hand torque you have in your grip in order to level that sight out, and that's something else I didn't really touch on when we were talking about like getting getting a bow ready for hunting from a beginner standpoint. But uh, absolutely make sure you you get a third axis, your your third axis sighted in if you're going to be shooting out of a tree stand or shooting some you know, extreme uphill, downhill shots, uh, out West or whatever, shoot, shoot your third axis and make sure that that, that sight is adjusted for how much riser torque there is in the bow. Um, and basically what we're talking about there is, you know, a lot of times if you just look down your rest with an arrow knocked without drawing, your pin will sit just a little left of your uh, right-handed shooter. Again, we're referencing here, but, your pin will sometimes be a little left of your string and your arrow. If you look down the, the string, line it up with your arrow on the rest, a lot of times your pin will be on the left side of your string. Well, what happens is that full draw with the load on the cable guard, that riser will torque and that stabilizer will point to the right just a little bit. And so at full draw, that pin will line up with the, the tip of your arrow. And that's why your pin that's left but when that when that riser torques out or turns right um you have to adjust your third axis usually pull your scope in towards you in order to for your bubble and your scope to truly be accurate at uphill and downhill uh angles okay kind of tough to (laughs) reference over a podcast yeah yeah it's uh you know any bow shop will know what a third axis is a first axis, second axis, and a third axis, and and they should set that site up properly for that, just out of the gate. It's, I mean, it's one of the when I'm building a site, that's the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to set my first and second axis up together so they match, which is basically your vertical your vertical bar or your your up and down travel of where like your 20 yard pin would be versus your 90. You want that to be plumb, perfectly plumb. And your bubble, your second axis, that comes off perpendicular to that bar or that vertical adjustment, you want that to be perpendicular and, and level when your first axis is plumb. Your okay. third axis would be in the out and in direction, which only refers to up and downhill.
1: Okay, I got you. That that, that clears it up a little bit. Now, what about arrow setup? because that, that seems to be a, a hot topic these days and, and a, definitely a point of confusion, particularly, you know, maybe for a new bow hunter. Um, h- how do you go about picking the right arrows? Uh, how heavy do you, you know, of an arrow do you need hunt for a typical bow hunter hunting whitetail deer? Um, can, can you break that down a little bit for us? Sure.
0: Um, and I'm, I'm on a different probably mindset than most people. I mean, I believe, Step one, shot placement is going to kill everything, pretty much. I mean, if you put the arrow where it's supposed to go, it, it's you know a youth hunter could kill ninety nine percent of his animals with a well placed shot and doesn't need heavy anything. Uh, you know, when you start getting into the crazy arrow builds of you know seven hundred grains, six hundred grains, um, yeah, I'm I'm not a I'm not a, a believer in that stuff. I don't, uh, you know, I don't hunt. White tails with a uh, elephant gun you know it's it's more just wait for a good you know be patient wait for a really good shot opportunity and just take really ethical shots um if that's if that's that's how I hunt so that's where most of my you know theory comes from if you're different if you're just you know one of the guys that believes like I've never killed an animal I didn't shoot at you know then you're gonna have to build a Probably a different setup for that. If you're just going to take, you know, shots whenever you get the opportunity. Um, For me, like 400 grains for the average bow hunter that's pulling 60 pounds or more, I would say a 400 grain arrow is adequate with a good shot placement. uh, That's going to probably kill every North American animal um, that's out there. Uh, Anything, you know, in between that 400 and 500 grain is is a very, very, very good, uh, effective hunting arrow. Um, there's a lot of charts out there that you can reference that would be, you know, where you're going to pick your spine. So if you're pulling 60 pounds, 28 inch draw length, you know, look at that arrow chart, see where, which spine that would put you under, depending on the arrow manufacturer, and then just select, you know, select that spine. And if you're kind of on the edge, go stiff go a little stiffer, go one, one spine stiffer, um, for a hunting situation, uh, you're just going to get a little better penetration out of that, that, that stiffer selection versus being a little weak. Um, you probably get a little more consistency out of it too. So as far as OD of the arrow or outside diameter, you know, um, long range, if long range shooting is going to be something you're going to be doing, or you're going to be hunting out West where there's going to be a lot of wind, then I would recommend going smaller you know, smaller in diameter of arrow, you're going to, uh, you're going to benefit from a little less wind drift. Um, you know, as you're exposed to to some of the wind that you might experience out there, um, your penetration will be a little bit more, but it's pretty negligible with a broadhead, um, on arrow size, because you're, you're slicing a pretty big hole. And that once the blood hits the arrow, it's pretty lubed up. It's going to go through just about anything. Um, no matter the size of the arrow, uh, but really the benefit of that smaller diameter is going to be for for wind.
1: Gotcha. And then just for for most guys, just a typical like a hundred grain broadhead is plenty enough. Or oh yeah, like yeah,
0: hundred grains. I mean, I shoot most of my target stuff even with like nineties and a hundred. Um, I I I've actually seen most of the testing that, I, that I've seen. Like you have to be. Very, very, very advanced when it comes to tuning and stuff. The 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 higher you go in broadhead weight, um, it's it, you're going to see some other inconsistencies just pop up um, in the eccentric system or the mechanical system of the bow. Um, things get actually sometimes get to be even uh, your accuracy goes downhill sometimes as you go really heavy, so really heavy point weight like 175s, 200s, 300s. That starts to change the, the spine of the arrow, the way they flex. So you want your arrows can, you know, have to be super consistent in the direction that they flex. Um, but when you stay in that more moderate weight of 100 grains, 125s, um, that's what the arrows are built for. That's what those charts are built around. And you're, you're going to get very good results um, out of... With that 100, 125 grain, but take into account the inserts. You know, there's a lot of manufacturers and stuff that offer, you know, uh, outserts or brass inserts or you know all these heavy components for higher FOCs or front of center builds. And so factor that in. If you're if you're building and putting a lot of point weight in your arrow, you're definitely going to want to go to a stiffer spot.
1: Okay, and. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up, but uh, you, you mentioned there FOC or front of center, and that's, uh, you see a lot of talk about that these days. Can you touch on what that is? And, and I mean, how much of a consideration, I guess, should that be when you're setting your arrow up?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I think people over analyze a lot of this stuff. I mean, I, to tell you, I guess just to get started, FOC is front of center balance. It's basically the The balancing percentage, if you were to balance that arrow that's built, you know, where on that shaft would be the balancing point. And the further, the further that you go forward, that's the higher FOC percentage numbers that you'll, you'll see. So as you, you know, if you went really heavy on your point weight, you're going to get higher FOC. If you go really light, you're going to get a lower FOC. Um. You know, I'm probably the worst person at this. I've never measured my FOC, not for a tournament, not for a hunting situation, nothing. I couldn't tell you where a single build that I've ever had landed in FOC because I don't care about it. I've shot, I've won tournaments and we're shooting pure accuracy stuff. I've won tournaments with 50 grain points. i won Shooter of the Year's with 50 grain points. I've won tons of stuff with 90s and 100s. Um, you know, indoors, we might shoot heavy stuff. That's you know we're shooting a very heavy arrow and and it's it's doable at twenty yards but beyond that like I actually start to see some some negative things with going really heavy so I don't usually shoot a lot of weight in the front of my arrows so I'm not really concerned with foc at all and I think the industry itself there's some some people out there that that push really heavy, heavy foc um, but
1: I don't yeah. Well, I think, I don't know, we as hunters, and and I guess maybe it's across all industries, but I I know we tend to want to overcomplicate things sometimes and worry about things that we we really don't have to worry about. But yeah,
0: and, and a lot of those situations, you know, generally when you see, you know, when you read about stuff that's really high FOC builds, you know, people are talking about marginal shots, you know, what if I hit a bone? What if I hit, you know, take these severe angle shots and I have to get, you know, penetration from one end of the animal to the other end of the animal. Well for me, I don't take those shots. So that's a non-concern for me. I'm not going to shoot a quartering two shot. I'm not going to shoot a you know extreme quartered shot on an elk and try to have to get an arrow through a stomach full of grass. Like it's just not an ethical shot on on for me. So I'm not going to take it. And two, when when you're starting to build arrows or build a setup for an extreme situation, you're creating, uh, another area that you're kind of, um, is going to be a problem. So when you're shooting these very slow, high arcing trajectory builds, you start running into other situations where rather now, maybe you'll kill an animal if you hit it, you know, within bone, but now you're going to have to deal with a lot more branches, a lot more, you know, just clear trajectory issues. So for me, I like to stay kind of middle of the road. I like to have a fast bow that's going to that's gonna, you know, have a very small arcing trajectory. So in the heat of the moment, when I see a whitetail and I look at it and it's like, okay, I have a clear shot. I, I don't want to have to look two feet above the animal and say, am I still clear there? because a lot of people don't, they just draw back, they see the vitals, they see the, the the midsection of the deer and they think they have a clear shot at 40 yards. But if you're shooting 260 feet per second, you better be looking well above that animal's back. Make sure that there's no branches up there because that's where your arrow's going on the path to that animal. And, you know, no amount of FOC is going to get you accuracy if you clip a branch.
1: Yeah. So yeah, That's a great point. Yeah. Well, the Last thing I wanted to touch on, as far as equipment wise, is, are stabilizers um, are are they are they necessary? And and how do you know exactly what you need for for a hunting setup?
0: Um, I think stabilizers are necessary.
1: Like,
0: are necessary I think <clears throat> I think they do help um, take out some like kind of hunting situation. Let's talk about like shorter bars and it because that's what's usually going to be used. Um, they're going to take out some of that like. <laughs> pin waggle when you're at full draw you'll see some kind of wiggle side to side <clears throat> and a lot of the geometry of the bow is going to gonna have uh, something to do with that so the higher let off that you go um, with the shorter brace height that you go you're going to see more of that side to side pin waggle that bow is going to any, any little thing that you do that's tension related and not really relaxed is going to cause that pin to kind of wiggle side to side so having that that front bar out there that does, uh, reduce some of that, or at least it slows it down. some. so that's kind of important. Uh, it's become more popular in bow hunting side of things to shoot a sidebar, kind of like we do for, for target archery. Um, that sidebar that comes off the back of the bow or off the front of the bow, but points towards the back, um, of the bow, that's, that's more of a counterweight system for your bubble. So it's like it allows the offset weight of your sight bar, your rest, your quiver, everything that's mounted on that right side of the bow on a right-handed shooter. Be on the other side if you're a left-handed shooter. But that, that sidebar, um, you, you add weight to that, and that, that just makes it more comfortable, more easy, easily held level at full draw without having to actually induce hand torque in your wrist to kind of level that bow out. So any any of those systems that, that allow you to shoot just a more relaxed front hand um, to take out a little bit of that pin waggle and to just level the bow easy, like without having to actually mentally twist it to get it level, I think is a really uh, good idea. And I would never, personally, I'd never build a hunting bow without, without a sidebar or a front bar, ever. And, I would take into consideration length, though, depending on the type of hunting that you're doing. If you're, you know, going really deep into backpacking stuff, you know, try to build a lighter setup. you are just not carrying a really heavy rig. If you're bow hunting out of a tree stand, not such a big deal. Um, whatever that length is, whether it be a 12 or a 15 inch front or 10 inch front or eight inch front, it's not a really big concern because you can kind of trim those lanes or trim your your tree accordingly but when you're hunting out of a ground blind or you're hunting out of a tower stand or a box blind or anything like that a shorter front bar is is usually pretty pretty necessary because uh, you'll just it's just hard sometimes to when you extend your your front arm you extend that bow out you draw the arrow back you're already running into a lot of space issues um with the arrow sticking out and drawing back but you definitely don't want to You know, have your stabilizer hitting the front of your your blind, or you know, getting in the way where it's it's even close. You want to give yourself some room to draw, maneuver, cetera, uh, in those tighter enclosed spaces.
1: Yeah, and it it sounds like that's something because it's going to vary between you know different different archers and and how they hold their bow and everything. It's probably something I guess you just. Need to go into a uh, a local pro shop and and maybe try some different weights and, and bars and, and things to kind of figure out what what best balances your bow for you. Yep, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's kind of wrap things up here by by shifting gears and and talking a little bit about competitive archery. Uh, I guess kind of from a bow hunter's perspective. I guess. Um, do you think? Someone getting involved in in competitive archery and maybe particularly 3D archery, is that going to make them a better bow hunter or, or the two different enough that one, one really doesn't apply to the other? No, I think they definitely, uh, you know, might be in different lanes, but they're
0: both pointing in the same direction. I mean, it's, what I think about competitive archery is it's, it's a good way to learn how to manage your adrenaline. Um, you know, just, just learning how to shoot, you know, shot after shot after shot under stressful situations, sometimes stressful, some shots aren't, but just learning, you know, to get used to that adrenaline, get used to, uh, shooting, you know, several different scenario looking shots. Um, I think it could definitely, uh, improve your shooting. I mean, I know it, it, it's made hunting target archery for me uh, has made hunting the hunting side of making the shot very, very, very easy me um just it's just different i mean (laughs) and it's not going to be the same for everybody but just um you know on my end like you know taking one shot for several thousand dollars or tens of thousands of dollars is just a whole different level of pressure (laughs) compared to just a whitetail walking through the woods like i just don't feel the pressure of it and and uh but even on the, the the amateur side of things, like it still made me very efficient when I was shooting because you do run into these these shots where you know you have to make the you know this is a really difficult setup and it's going to take some thread in the needle and it pushes your adrenaline up a little bit and you just learn to manage that and you you make those shots several times and that starts to build confidence it starts to build a comfort level that I do think you carry that confidence. You do carry that into your bow hunting side of stuff. It just, it is a very good, good thing. I would highly recommend it. And it's fun. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very good way to enjoy, you know, the equipment that you purchased. And a lot of this stuff's very expensive anymore. So anything you can do to to get out there and use it more often than, than what just shooting in your yard by yourself, um, I think, (laughs) I think people are missing out if they've never shot some level of competition, 3d archery, um, or even field archery or any of that stuff. It's, it's a lot of fun. And especially if you get with a good group of people that, that, uh, you know, can make it into a, a hobby and a habit for you. It's, it's a lot of
1: fun. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there when, when you said, when you mentioned confidence, cause I, I know for me, the, the years that I really stayed in, engaged in archery and, you know, got out there and shot a lot of 3D or, or some, you know, indoor spots at, at my local archery shop, I always went into deer season with just a, a whole lot more confidence in my, my shooting than the years when, you know, I didn't didn't take those opportunities. So I think uh, I think that's a big thing with with getting out there and, and shooting again, whether it's 3D archery or indoor spots or anything, just just that that routine act of, of shooting your bow and like I said, putting, putting a little pressure on some of the shots, but. Um, and I, it- I think it make it makes you patient too. Like
0: when you practice all year, uh, when we talking about deer hunting, you know, sometimes those deer come in and guys are just trying to get the closest shot they can. And sometimes that angle isn't perfect when they're close, you know, they're just, it's better to just wait. And if you mm. know that your effective range, like, my hit full draw, that deer doesn't have a very good probability of surviving inside of like 40 yards. I mean, it's just, that's the reality of it. If, if he gives me a really good angle and I'm very confident in that. So if that deer comes in and he's kind of milling around, but he's not giving me a really good shot, um, I'm just really patient. I'm just waiting for a perfect opportunity when he gives me a shot. And and when he finally does, I know I'm going to make that shot. And I think that's, that's the other side that it does is you don't, you're not like pushing yourself to to take this. This is my only opportunity to harvest that animal right now and, and kind of, you know, pushing the gun a little bit. So just, just being really confident in your equipment, knowing what it's capable of, what you're capable of. I think it just builds a lot of confidence in, in it. And that's what, that's important carrying over for hunting. Yeah,
1: Absolutely. Hey, Dan, for, for those who might want to follow along and, and kind of keep up with you with uh, what you're doing on, online, on social media, what's the, uh, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: Um, really just uh, on my social media accounts, uh, Dan McCarthy uh, Archery on Facebook, um, Instagram, same thing. Um, those are really the two areas that I post uh, a lot of what I'm just doing out there, um, tournament archery related stuff some of the equipment that we're using or messing with at the time. Um, yeah. And some of the national tours, IBO, ASA, NFAA events. Um, if you guys never been to any of them, definitely would recommend checking those out. Uh, they're a lot of fun. They're some of the best by far the best, you know, uh, organizations out there in the United States
1: to shoot and, uh, compete. So good deal. I, I appreciate your time, Dan. And, uh, Definitely wish you luck on the, the remainder of the uh, the 3D archery season and this, this coming deer season as well. I no, appreciate it, Brian. Thanks. All right, guys, that wraps up our interview with Dan McCarthy. Uh, thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Uh, and, and several more so about anywhere you could listen to uh, listen to podcasts you should be able to find us there uh, or you can just go to dearassociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, hey we'd also love it if you take just a second to leave us a five star rating or a written review you know those both help us uh, climb the, the podcasting charts and be more visible to uh, to future listeners so, We would appreciate any support you could give us there. For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website, again, at deerassociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can become a member, and don't forget about that podcast promo code that we talked about at the beginning of the show to get you a little bit of a discount on an annual membership and that free NDA hat. So be sure to take advantage of that. And, uh, hey, just enjoy some of our Several hundred articles of of free content right there on our website covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, um, deer management, you name it. Uh, If it's deer hunting or deer management related, we got some good content right there on our website available to you. So check that out. And of course, you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast. The podcast where deer season never ends.